Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by Mint Mobile. Cut your wireless bill to as little as 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 322, Life Support. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, examining it for ideas and ideals, and seeing whether the whole thing holds up today. This week, life support. The one where the Bajorans make peace with the Cardassians, and Kai Wynn makes peace with Vedic Burial right before Vedic Burial dies. Spoiler! I've got trivia coming up in a bit, but first... But first... I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember... We may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Then with that, we turn it over to the Trivia Master to do that trivia thing. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, please say hello once again to Mr. John Champion. Well, thank you for that intro, Ken. Trivia for today's episode, Life Support. Well, the story is credited to Christian Ford and Roger Soffer. For both of them, this was their very first professional writing credit in the business after pitching their story. They went on to write a few more things together, like the feature film Kazam and the TV movie Final Days of Planet Earth. And yes, there's a Frankenstein parallel here. Bashir shooting electricity into a corpse to bring him back to life. All of that was intentional. It was how Christian and Rogers saw their story. And they originally had centered the action on a Federation ambassador until it was later decided that Vedic Burial is a character that the audience already had an emotional connection with. Hey, how about O'Brien? Well, that was considered too, but no, ultimately it, it had to be Burial. Teleplay here is by Ronald D. Moore. Of course, no introduction needed there. And this was directed by Reza Badi, and we just talked about Reza and his long TV career. Most recently, well, very recently, in fact, we were talking about his work as a director on Past Tense Part 1. Hey, there's a, a funny little kind of well-known story about the uh, props in this episode. Now, Ken, we've talked to Jem Martin before. He, of course, a uh, conceptual artist and designer who worked a lot on Deep Space Nine, bit on Voyager, uh, just his thumbprints all over the uh, design and props that you see in many of these shows. Well, uh, he specialized in doing a lot of hand props, a lot of desktop items, and in this case, the medical gear. Well, he designed two distinct props to be used by Dr. Bashir when working with Vedic Burial. Well, one was a brain scanner, uh, which does, as you would think, it scans. It just sees what's there, right? Then you have the brain operator, a much more complex device that's there to take samples, to work on Vedic Burial's noggin, to do all that stuff, get in deep, right? Well... Somehow, those props got flipped when they actually did film the episode. So we have the brain operator used at first as a scanner, the scanner used later as the brain operator. Just a mess. And Jim Martin was the only one who noticed. He sees the dailies. Oh, hey, uh, you, you got that wrong. But it was too late. They'd already shot all that stuff. Oh, so It's much mm -hmm. better this way, I think. 
You think? I do, because the brain operator, I mean, it was actually, it was borderline gross when he's going in there with that really sharp thing into his head, mm-hmm. right? Oh, and yeah. I thought, that's yeah. that's kind of... That's kind of invasive for the Star yeah. Trek universe. No wonder he's kind of worried about taking parts of his brain out. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to accidentally snuff that spark because I'm just digging around <laughs> in there with stuff, right? It just was, uh, poking around, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was more gross that way and also a bit more... I mean, I was just glad it didn't come back with, like, bits of, like, you know, scalp on it or something. I like was kind of waiting for that. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. very clean even after that. Hey, let's talk about guest stars instead of uh, Burial's head debris. So we have Jake and Nog having dates in this episode. Leanne is played by Lark Vuries, and I know what you're thinking. She looks just like Lisa from Saved by the Bell, and you would be right, because that is Lark Vuries who played Lisa on Saved by the Bell. Also, we get Leanne's friend, Riska, played by Eva Loseth. She was on, now wait a minute, she was on Saved by the Bell uh, as a guest star in a two-parter. This was, in fact, her first professional credit as an actor. These days, you can find her back home in Chicago working in real estate. Now, we should mention here that Nurse Jabra, who works in the infirmary, uh, she's played by Anne Gillespie, who we saw on TNG as an ensign in Pen Pals, and we've seen her a couple of times already on DS9. We'll see her one more time, and it's interesting to note that during and after her time on Trek, she had a recurring role on Beverly Hills 90210 and later 90210. She has since gone on to become an Episcopal priest. We have a new Cardassian in the house. We have Legate Terrell, played by Andrew Prime. We've seen Andrew once before when we discussed the TNG episode Frame of Mind, in which he was the administrator, keeping Riker captive. We discussed his enormous career then. Just a couple of highlights that he was one of the visitors in the V miniseries. Uh, he was in The Miracle Worker with Anne Bancroft and Patty Duke. And he was even in an episode of Kolchak, The Night Stalker. But front and center in this episode, of course, are two returning guest stars. We see a great deal of both Louise Fletcher as Kai Wen and Philip Anglum as Vedic Burial. Of course, we'll be seeing Kai Wen again. And while we might be saying goodbye to Vedic Burial, hey, it's Star Trek. You never know. Problems with blood flow to your extremities, major organs, and brain? Vasican may be right for you. Yes, Vasican is experimental. But, at one time, so were electricity, the warp drive, and cake. You like cake, right? Then ask your doctor if Vasican is right for you. Prologue. On the promenade, Jake Sisko is approached by Leanne, a young woman he kind of sort of knows who used to be dating someone else but isn't anymore. Ahem. Uh, that's an invitation she offers up, and he accepts, but he's got a game of Domjot schedule with Nog, which he can definitely change. Just then, a damaged Bajoran ship arrives at DS9. Kai Wen is on board, and many of the passengers are badly injured, though it seems none quite as badly as Vedic Burial. Act 1. Burial is not doing well at all. Cardiac arrest, falling neurotransmitters... Dr. Bashir and Nurse Jabra work in earnest. Kai Wen is fine, and she takes a private meeting with Commander Sisko to reveal that she was on her way to a secret meeting with the Cardassians to formalize a treaty when the accident occurred. She gives much of the credit to Vedic Burial, and she's worried that if anything happens to him, it could derail the peace efforts. For all of Bashir's work, there's nothing more he can do. The damage to Burial is too great, and the doctor gives the terrible news to Kira— she says she'll grieve in her own way, which means going back to work. Now the task at hand turns to an autopsy to see exactly where the neural breakdown began. But when Burial's body is brought out of stasis and a scanner hooked up to him, the oddest thing occurs. A neuron fires. And then again. Burial's nervous system is working, somehow. Bashir has an idea. Regenerating Burial's neural pathways with some carefully applied tech, i.e. electricity to the brain, might actually bring Burial's brain back online. It works! It's alive! I, I mean, he, Burial, he is alive! Act 2. 
Um, so this is cool. Burial was dead. Now he's alive thanks to Bashir's inspired improvised procedure. Burial is weak, but he and Kaiwen both realize they need to get back to work with the Cardassians to finish the negotiations. It's not ideal, but Burial would just advise Wynn to the best of his abilities. Kira is relieved and sweet, and she and Burial make a plan to play spring ball when they can. Speaking of playing, Nog visits Jake to let him know that the Domjot game is on, which is just when Jake says he can't because he's got a date. Nog doesn't exactly take the hint. In fact, he thinks this is an invitation for a double date, which then means Jake will have to provide someone for his friend. Nog's in great spirits about the whole thing now. He just doesn't want Jake to do anything that would embarrass him. Checking in on the infirmary, Wen is asking Burial about treating Minutia, like getting their orbs back from the Cardassians. He's helping out with his own brand of measured wisdom, but he's still weak, and Bashir comes in with some not-so-great news. That procedure that he did, flooding the Vedic's nervous system with neurogenic radiation, seems there are some side effects, like vasoconstrictions that will lead to multiple organ failures. There is an alternative— Bashir could put Burial back into stasis until he can figure out what to do. Burial's not having it, though. These talks are too important for Bajor, and he needs to be here, alive, and not stored away until the doctor can figure out what to do. There is another alternative, one Bashir was hesitant to bring up. An experimental drug, Vasican, could improve blood flow to his organs, but there is a high risk of side effects— Chief among those side effects would be death, given Burial's unique condition. Fine, then. It's a risk he'll take, since he's driven by the profits, to finish the negotiations above all else. Act 3. Legate Terrell has arrived, and he and Kai Wen settle in to talk treaty details. Things like, Bajoran prisoners? What, 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 what Bajoran prisoners? What are you talking about? Is, is it me? It's her, right? The more details come up, like Cardassian property on Bajor, Kai Wen is out of her element. She tells Sisko she needs Vedic Burial since he already has a rapport with Terrell and knows much more about these negotiations than she does. The reality is, though, that Burial may not be around much longer. Hey, it's date night at Quark's bar. There's Jake and Leanne along with Nog and Riska. It's the usual kind of first date small talk, travel and mutual interest, calling the female dumb and demanding she cut up the food. To be very clear, that's Nog's style, not Jake's. None of this goes over well with Riska or Leanne, who both have had enough and leave. Jake is furious with Nog, and Nog can't believe that Jake would treat a female like an equal. No more dates, no more Domjot. Looks like this friendship is over. Back in the infirmary, Burial is walking Kai Wen through some more strategy. She doesn't need to negotiate about Cardassian property on Bajor. That was already settled long ago. But he's getting weaker. Bashir says Wen needs to leave, under threat of being kicked out by security, so Burial can recuperate. Kira steps in, offering her concern, but it's Bashir who has another difficult bit of news to swallow. The Vasican has damaged his organs. The only way to go now is to start replacing those with artificial ones, as long as those will hold out. Ryle says it needs to be done. Whatever happens, he just needs to make it through the negotiations. Act 4. Bashir has done what he can for Burial, and now he finds Kai Wen to give her a few words. Tell Burial you don't need him. If Wen convinces Burial that she's okay on her own in the negotiations then he can go into stasis and the doctor can do his work. Kai Wen thinks about it a moment. No. She won't stretch the truth, not even a little, if it means saving his life. Why? She needs input. The success in the negotiations isn't assured. Then it becomes clear to Dr. Bashir. It's very clear that Wen needs Burial as someone to take the blame if she fails. At home with the Siskos, Benjamin is asking his son about how the date went. Jake tells him all the embarrassing details, and the old man says, Well, it sounds like you have some cultural differences. Maybe the two of you should just talk it out. That won't be easy, though. The boys aren't talking to each other at all at the moment. 
Also not talking, but rather gasping for life, is Vedic Burial. He's taken a turn for the worse after talking to Kai Wynn again. This time it was Burial's decision, though. He's the one who called in Wynn, but it was too much. The exertion has led to irreversible brain damage. Act 5. With Burial getting so much worse, Kai Wynn wonders if the doctor can replace some of his brain with artificial parts to just keep him going long enough. The answer is maybe. But there's something she's overlooking, that the ineffable spark of life that makes Burial who he is may no longer be there even if he's successful. Bashir can only replace so much before Burial is no longer Burial. The other alternative is simply to do nothing, and he'll die. And what would Burial want? Well, he did say he wanted the negotiations to continue. Kira chimes in. He wouldn't want to be in stasis. Let him finish what he started. So after some time, Burial is awake again after a positronic brain implant. He's a little more chief and a little less McMurphy now. He's aware. He can talk, at least. But he's not himself. He says when Kira touches his hand, it doesn't seem real, more like the distant memory of a touch. He gets to work with Kai Wynn, though, ready to talk about the negotiations. Hey, uh, remember the whole shenanigans with Jake and Nog? Let's take a quick detour just to wrap that up, shall we? Jake has a clever idea. Convince Odo to throw him and Nog and the clink together on some fake charges just so they'll have to talk things out. It doesn't take long for Nog to figure out this is a ruse, which leads to what's really on each other's minds. Here's what it comes down to. As a human and as a Ferengi, they each have traditions and habits that disgust each other. They don't want to lose their friendship, but double dating is off the table. Glad we got that resolved. Ready to celebrate? The peace treaty has been signed. All is good. Everyone should be happy. Except Dr. Bashir is not. He's beaten down by what has happened with Burial. Yet here's everyone celebrating. Even Quark is in on the action, presenting Kai Wen with a namesake chocolate souffle. That will all have to wait. A call comes from the infirmary that Bashir is needed. Vedic Burial is at the end now, unresponsive. The rest of his brain is failing, and Bashir can't see adding more artificial parts to keep him alive. Kai Wen says she'll make sure Bajor never forgets him. Kira is desperate asking Bashir to help Burial, but the doctor says it's time to let him go. He'll be gone in three hours or so, and Kira decides to stay with him until he's gone, telling him about the day she fell in love with him. The End I gotta say, I really appreciate Odo's lack of drama in this episode. Mm, how so? Well, so often somebody calls to someone on TV and says, you should come down here, Right. But they don't say why, or, or you're going to want to see this. Oh, yeah, it happened to Bashir like a bunch of times. Yeah, but yeah. they don't. Yeah, yeah, they don't say why. Odo calls Kara, and he's like, "You should come down here. Your boyfriend's been hurt." <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. Thank you very much. I because she knows exactly what she's going into, right? Yeah, she knows what she's going yeah. in for. She knows why she's been called. Mad props to Odo for being like, "Listen, this is bad. I'm going to tell you exactly how bad. Please come down here." <laughs> Wow, that's that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly really, literally appreciated that every time I watched this episode. Yeah. Like, good yeah, for that's... you, Odo. Tell her exactly what she's walking into. Yeah. Because she might have come down there going, boop ba doop ba doo 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 She might have stopped for a Ractagino on the way. She could have. People love those on Deep Space Nine. Drinking it slow because it's hot. Yeah. yeah. Good to hear the Klingon place is still open, by the way. I really oh, look forward yeah. to seeing the singing Klingon again. Oh, I can't wait. Someday. <laughs> Hey, uh, if you were to talk to Jake about the whole dating scene, you know, I, I just wonder, like, I, I feel like there's a lot of advice that he could be given, some good advice, some bad advice. Curious to hear uh, uh, the more he talks about this with his father and his friends. But I'm just thinking, like, right at the beginning, uh, if I were to talk to Jake, I would say, Jake, here's that initial conversation. Here's how that goes. Attractive woman comes up to you and asks, uh, do you have plans tomorrow night? You say, nope. <laughs> nope. And then you make plans with her. And then you call Nog and say, hey, too bad, I have to cancel tomorrow. Why? None of your business. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm canceling. So we'll reschedule. Dom Jot will be there. Boom. Done. 
Is that is I'm that with you. Me? That's absolutely yeah. No, you are okay. You're 100 correct on that. Good. Uh, Just wanted to make sure. I, I, I honestly, I was. I, forgive me for for being so slow on the uptake there. I was just thinking about the time. No, eh, whatever. What <laughs> was there a time? There was a lovely young was woman it? who said, "What time do you get off work?" And and rather than saying ten thirty, I said, "Why?" Oh yeah. Boom boom yeah. boom. Wow. <laughs> was yeah. We we've all had that moment. Yeah, yeah. we have. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. and, and I I wish that you know had I been Jake Sage when I was Jake Sage, somebody would just say like, here's what happens. You know, uh, the attractive young woman comes up to you and says, "Are you free? Or do you have plans? Or when do you get off work? Or whatever? Are you a god? <laughs> yes. You say yes. So yes. Exactly. That's, that's exactly. pretty much what you're aiming for here. I think. Yeah. I, and I do want to talk about kind of the dating scene on DS9 for just a second. You know, these little sparks of romance that happen every now and then. Uh, Leanne and Orak stopped seeing each other like a few weeks ago. Uh, but remember, there's only like 300 people on board. And I'm thinking a small percentage of those who are in the same age range. Uh, a, I hope it was not a bad breakup. Uh, and B, I'm just glad there's a ton of empty space on the station. If you need to get away, if you can't stand like, oh, man, every time I walk down the promenade, I'm going to see uh, that person I just broke up with three weeks ago. At least you've got like the, there are ore chambers and there's machinery and there are empty quarters. There's all kinds of places you can go hang out and uh, commiserate. There are a few things that I'm actually confused by. So Jake's a teenage kid and Leanne's a teenage kid. And she was apparently dating some other, I assume, a teenage kid, though I know how, you know, fluid age definition can mm-hmm. be on Deep Space Nine and around Deep Space Nine. Sure. Uh, but she apparently was on Bajor, but she's back enough that they can date every now and then. Or does she live on Deep Space Nine now and she was just away on Bajor for a bit? Mostly what I'm thinking about is why is it like trying to go over Donner Pass for Keiko to get back here. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. But Jake and, his, yeah. Jake and not even his girlfriend, Jake and just some girl can be like, hey, I'm going to be on DS9 next week. Want to hang out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder which of the O'Briens is telling the other O'Brien how difficult <laughs> it is to get back and forth from Deep Space Nine to, uh, to Bajor. Yeah. Yeah, all we were missing, since we don't have O'Brien in this, all we're missing is the scene at the very end where, like, Leanne's about to get on a shuttle, and, and it's O'Brien, like, can you get a message back to my wife? <laughs> she'd just be like, yeah, like, literally, the shuttle leaves four times a day. Yeah, and she yeah. just pulls out her pad and's like, yeah, what do you want to say? Yeah. <laughs> oh, does that, really? That'll, never mind. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I, I loved watching this episode kind of over and over because I, I was really uh, just sort of charmed and entertained by the Dr. Frankenstein moment that uh, that Bashir is having. Because it, at first, like the very first time I watched it, I didn't really pay that much attention to the drama of the moment. But but on every subsequent rewatch, I was like, oh, they're really they're, they're doing the thing here. They're absolutely doing the thing. Yeah. The thing that I kept getting caught on actually is like he's like, you know, increase increase the voltage to, you know, 60 millivolts and mm-hmm. the nurse does it. He's like 65 and the nurse does it. He says 70 millivolts and she says, but that'll hurt his brain, his dead, dead brain. It was kind of amazing to me. She's like, oh, you're going to damage the the dead thing, the, the dead thing yeah. that you're trying to bring back to life. It was kind of a kind of a funny. Right. Thing there. Right. Hey, and this is a great episode where we learned that the Cardassians, the Bajorans, they have a formal treaty now, so there won't be any more problems. Yeah. That's cool. That is That's cool. Really I really love yeah. the semantics that they were doing, too. Uh, so, um, you know, they're talking about the Bajoran prisoners being held on Cardassia. And mm-hmm. the legate's like, there are no Bajoran prisoners being held on Cardassia. And Cisco says, so there are no Bajoran prisoners being held. He's no. He's like, okay, well, what about uh, Bajorans being held in Cardassian prisons? <laughs> and the legate's like, oh, yeah, we got those. Yeah, that's because I, I thought you meant, no, oh, wait, no, you didn't mean, oh, okay. <laughs> well, no, now, we now that you're clear. In prison, we don't have Bajoran yeah. prisoners. We just, you know, yeah. have a few uh, that mm-hmm. we're keeping. As prisoners. Yeah. I also thought it was kind of ballsy of the legate to, uh, you know, after occupying Bajor, demand that Bajor give Cardassia its stuff back. <laughs> right, It'd be like if, right. if Germany had come back in like 1949 and said, yeah. I think England, I'm sorry to bug you, but I think we left a few tanks. Yeah, uh, we've it, got some unexploded ordnance. Could you guys, could you just pack it and we'll, we'll come by right. later? Don't yeah. touch that. We'll pick it up. Right. 
Uh, oh man, and, and Kai Wen, wow, really coming to her own. I'm glad again there won't be any more problems with her because you know she she got what she wanted and she's successful and um, you know she really uh, really seems to have warmed up to uh, to Barail. Uh Yeah, this might be a point of discussion later. Okay, good. I don't know if it will be or not, honestly. But it's I was having this debate with a friend of mine, and I'm like, okay. yeah, I don't know, how to, I don't know how to make her out in this episode, so. Yeah, let's swing back around to her, shall we? Yeah, uh, though I, I do like her style. Just to uh, Bashir, like, hey, can you just can you just whip up an artificial brain for Beryl? Like, <laughs> like uh, I'm I'm a Kai. You can do this for me. Did yeah. you ever uh, see the movie Soap Dish? No, no. I like I remember that it was a thing, but yeah. I see, uh, so I was working for movie theaters at the time. I saw the trailer a million times. Never actually saw mm-hmm. the movie, but I saw the trailer a million times. And one of my favorite parts was because the premise is they're writing for a soap opera, and it's a soap mm-hmm. opera that takes place around the hospital. And they show this very handsome doctor saying these heart, lung, liver, kidney replacements are almost routine. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of like that. So you, you, you give him a brain, right? And then, and then Kira later is like, give him two. And well, hold on. Yeah. Because yeah. the yeah. first one's really just helping the second one after a while. It's just, you know, you got a binar in there. I, I did wonder um, why they didn't just beam Braille off the station and beam him back on. Oh, oh, because uh, uh, transporters fix everything. He'd probably come back 10 years younger, too. He might, although he wouldn't remember yeah. anything about anybody. But, you know, at least he'd be alive. Exactly. Yeah, we don't. We haven't used. I guess it's really since the cartoon. We haven't really used the transporter as a as a heal all in quite a while. Yeah, that's too bad. Well, I, in next gen, no, in next gen we had that a uh, couple of times. Okay. Yeah. 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 Doctor Pulaski, you know. Oh, that's right. We did do uh-huh. that with Pulaski. So it's been a long time though. But yes. Yeah. Yeah. See, they could have done that. I'm just mm-hmm. saying. You're welcome. <laughs> right. Hey, we have a shout out to the Tholians here. Mm-hmm. That was exciting. Now, at this point on Star Trek, we, we only saw kind of the face, like the, the, the helmet, the kind of weird thing of a Tholian in the Tholian web. Right. And, and that was it. Um, it's not actually until Enterprise you get to see the whole body of a Tholian, too. I love uh, I love Nog's defense in this. He's like, I don't even know what a Tholian looks like. I wanted I wanted Oda to be like, I'm not saying you broke in because he was Tholian. I'm saying <laughs> you broke in to a Tholian's thing. It wasn't like, yeah. you know, it's not about, I don't think it's a hate crime. I think you were stealing stuff, except I don't really. This is just a little joke we pull on Team Space Nine. Right, right. <laughs> um, Kira answers for Burial. She, she says uh, that he wouldn't want to be in stasis waiting for a solution that may never come. I'd say just uh, that sounds pretty good, actually, because you, you think back to um, think back to the neutral zone. And mm-hmm. You had those poor people who were frozen and then thawed out. And apparently, like, those are the only three. If you look at 20th century technology, those are the only three who made it. Most of the others thawed out accidentally some other time. But they, those three, they're OK. I believe you're forgetting about Khan and his henchmen. Oh, yeah. Well, some of those didn't make it either. Well, some of them didn't make it, but some of them did. Khan, some of them did, and they did all right. Khan came back. He got to run a whole planet. Yeah, he did okay. It turned out to be kind of a crap planet. You mean SETI Alpha 5 or SETI Alpha 6? That okay. was SETI Alpha 5. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at Stasis, that, that, I mean, with this new technology, it's like nothing decomposes, nothing ate. He's just hanging out. Sounds okay. Um, hey, and it wouldn't be Mission Log if I didn't mention some of the food that they're having. Now, on the date, uh, I couldn't really tell what was on the plate, but obviously it was something that Nog needed cut it, cut up for him mm-hmm. uh, and or pre-chewed for him. But in the Cisco quarters, that was quite a meal. It looks like they're having uh, some salads and some really big rolls, maybe like some roast chicken or something, some kind of side dish. There was a lot going on there. It all looked pretty good. And uh, at the reception, they were drinking Windex. Side effects of Vasican may include difficulty with swallowing, fast heartbeat, Speaking in tongues, fever, hives, itching, scratching, crustiness, muscle cramps, pain, stiffness, swelling. We'll go back on life support in a moment, but first... But first, we are very happy to welcome a new sponsor to Mission Log. It is Mint Mobile. If you're still using one of the big wireless providers, have you asked yourself what you're paying for? Between expensive retail stores, inflated prices, and hidden fees... You're probably being taken advantage of because you'll pay. 
Well, this is where Mint Mobile comes in. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage that you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything is online. Mint Mobile saves on retail locations and overhead, then passes those savings directly to you. Now, we've each been trying it out over the past few weeks, and for me, it's been impressive. Uh, Serving the web, streaming music, and yes, streaming video all works the way you'd expect for a lot less money per month. So Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill to as little as 15 bucks a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text. And with Mint Mobile, you're paying for the amount of data that you need. Choose between plans with 3, 8, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. Keep your phone, keep your number, and keep more of your money. To get your new wireless plan starting at 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash missionlog. That's M-I-N-T, mintmobile.com slash missionlog. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash missionlog. And a big thanks to Mint Mobile for sponsoring this week's show. So I know there's an A plot and a B plot in this episode. Boy, are there. Yeah, I kind of feel like the more important stuff happens in the B plot. I could be wrong. I don't know, but but it's sort of that's that's sort of my thinking. So if you're cool, I'm gonna I'm gonna go down that road. I, I think that's fine. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, I I get why. I think I'm I'm anxious to hear what you have to say. I, I think the B plot is important, particularly for what we do. The the three M's: the morals, meanings, messages. The very Star Trek story in there. I think the A plot. It's a great dramatic story, a great character story yeah. that, that kind of deepens the, uh, the, the character. And, I, and I'm not using this in a pejorative way, but the, the kind of soap opera feel of uh, DS9. Right. I think they're both powerful in their own right, but I, I'm glad that you set this up the way that you did because I, this is stuff that I want to talk about. Okay. Um, so I don't know what to make of uh, Cisco's talk with Jake about Nog. <laughs> and and, and I'll, I will say, on the one hand, I am glad that Cisco, you know, has come around to the idea that people of different backgrounds can be friends, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Jake throws Cisco's words or Jake throws Ben's words back in his face. The Ferengi and humans are too different. They can't be friends, right? Yeah. And so I like the fact that uh, that Ben has sort of come around on that idea. On the other hand, Nog's ideas about women are, are truly terrible. Yeah. And so for Cisco to say, he sounds like he's just being a Ferengi. I, I'm not sure where I land on that. I don't want him to tell Jake to not be friends with him because he's different. Um, I will tell you, I was re- reminded of a friend in high school who was like really racist, like decidedly racist. He was a racist dude. Mm-hmm. And he was like, it, I was like friends with him before I knew that because he was also smart. He didn't just walk around, you know, being stupid and saying things that were really reprehensible, you know, loudly. Um, and anytime stuff like that would come up, I'd call him on it. I would tell him he was wrong or I would tell him I thought he was wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, didn't take, we lost touch and then touch base again, like 20 years later on Facebook. And he still had the same ignorant attitudes 20 something years later about, about, uh, about race. Yeah. Uh, Interestingly, he also told me that I was pretty much the only friend that he had in high school. Wow. And I honestly didn't even think that we were that close. Really? I, I mean, like even in high school, I didn't think that we were that close. I have wondered in the ensuing years whether I was right to keep being his friend. But I think at the very least I did it right in that every time he was an idiot, I would say, you're being an idiot. Mm-hmm. So now I want to come back to Cisco, Jake and Nog. Is Cisco right to say, well, it just sounds like he's, you know, it sounds like he's being him. Yeah, uh, by the way, I'm surprised that you didn't uh, uh, quote They Might Be Giants there. Well, I thought about it. Honestly, uh, every time I think about that song, so the one the one uh, that John is talking about is, um, I assume, Your Racist Friend. Yeah, yeah, this is where the party ends. Yeah, I, I can't stand here uh, listening to you and your racist friend. I know politics bore you, but I feel like a hypocrite <laughs> talking to you, you and your and racist, your racist friend. friend. Yeah. And the thing is, I mean, every time I hear that song, I do wonder about that. I mean, this mm-hmm. dude, like I say, we knew each other for a while before he was like, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, 
Uh, no, and neither do you, right? I mean, differences in philosophy, I get, right? Differences in religion, I get. But you just say, tell you what, we're not going to talk about the fact that you're horribly racist, or we're not going to talk about the fact that you're horribly sexist, or we're not going to talk about the fact that you're horribly classist. I mean, it sounds to me like Cisco's advice is, look, some people are bigots, so just you know, let him be. You guys just yeah. don't talk about this, and you can still be friends. Yeah. I mean, this guy from high school and I talked about it, and we're still friends, I guess. I mean, mm. to my way of thinking, that was always a sticking point in our, I won't even go so far as to call it a relationship, to find out years later that he would, that he would say that I was like, I'm the person he remembers from high school. And and our conversations were always I mean, at least when it came to that, I mean, we would talk about our weekends and then if anything came up, I'd be like, dude, I mean, so I don't know. I'm, I'm a little confused by their, uh, by, uh, by, by the advice and by the, by the path. It looks like um, uh, Jake and Nog plan to take, which is we just won't talk about the fact that I am uh, sexist. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. I mean, I think that's really difficult about this episode um and it's not necessarily a uh, a real bonk bonk like here here's how you do it folks here's how you navigate these difficult differences you might have with people who are not like you mm -hmm. um i i thought about a few things when trying to parse what happens here uh one thing that i thought about is uh, the conversations that we've had with David Kyle Johnson. We've done that on Mission Log Live, and, and I encourage people who have not stepped over from Mission Log to Mission Log Live to go check that out. Uh, Kyle is a philosopher, ph uh, philosophy professor, and we had this conversation about the limits of ITIC. If you take this idea of infinite diversity and infinite combination, is there a logical limit to that? So if, if my philosophy on life, maybe it's uh, influenced by religion or, or whatever uh, uh, inputs uh, I've gotten over time, compels me to say that another person is so inferior that they're not worth sharing the same air that I breathe, well, that is by definition incompatible with ITIC. So you can actually make a limit on the amount of quote unquote diversity that would be in combination with other diversity. And it was a very long conversation. And I, I, I kind of got it on this, this sort of philosophical, almost scientific level, just saying, here, here's how we make at least some distinction. So we're not just saying that everything is equal under the sun, even this philosophy that says that somebody else uh, needs to die mm -hmm. uh, to, to, you know, to go the furthest extreme of it. But then there's another component to this that, that is a, a personal and emotional experience to something. And, you know, I, I can't think of an example in my life exactly like yours, but I, I certainly, having grown up in the South, I know people who are racist or have expressed some racist ideas. Um, I think about you know, currently, I know people who are at different ends of the political spectrum, uh, people who are religious believers in a way that I am not, uh, people who hold views that I certainly do not. But I didn't come to those friends or, or get to know those friends because of those similarities or differences in in points of view or or religious philosophy or scientific belief those are all things that kind of get revealed later and at a certain point you go okay well are we friends because we're friends because we have all these other things in common and do i decide that either well i can't just talk about these issues with you mm -hmm. because it will just always hit an impasse or do I hope that maybe just by exposure that we're actually doing each other some benefit by, <laughs> you know, by at least being that presence, by embodying that presence of some different idea, some different point of view in your life? Because so, Ken, you would have this opportunity with your high school friend to just go, wow, well, he was racist then. Apparently, he's pretty racist now. I don't need to accept the friend request. 
on on social media. I don't need to stay in touch with this guy. Mm-hmm. But you did. You did. And, and, and you're not necessarily going to be able to change somebody's mind overnight. But you hope at the very least that maybe you're the guy who, on your end of the political spectrum, this guy, if he is at opposite ends, for whatever reason, wherever he may fall, he can at least look at you and go, oh, but this is actually a human being, even though I disagree with him. And you can look at him and go, this is a human being. This is a friend, even though I disagree with him. There, there are a couple of things that, that and I hate to, I hate to uh, uh, play so hard with semantics. Mm-hmm. I think there's a difference between different ends of political spectrums and different ends on human rights. And I know we think of human rights sure. a lot of times as being a political thing. I, th- I don't think racism is political. I think racism is racism. I don't think sexism is political. I think sexism is sexism. And I know we used to have somebody, I don't know if she still listens or not, but we used to have somebody come up and argue with us every every year. Well, not, well argue with me, except she wouldn't <laughs> argue with me. She would talk to you about what she disagreed with about me. Yes. But, yes. I mean, she thought that we were different politically, and she also thought I was wrong on sexism, because those, those, those are two different things. Yeah. <sighs> Obviously, with this guy that I knew, and Facebook is, I mean, you nailed it. We know each other on Facebook now. And mm-hmm. I'm, I've practically been off Facebook for a year. I technically still have an account, but I'm almost not there anymore. Yeah. I go on twice a week, and one of those I've cut down considerably, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> the thing that worries me is, is Ben's idea here seems to be, you guys just don't talk about it, and it'll be fine. And and you can say, well, maybe Nog being around Jake will be good. Maybe it will be a positive influence. And I have a feeling based on stuff that we know about what's going to happen going forward that that is going to be the case. Mm-hmm. It seems to me in real life, uh, there is there is sort of a, there is sort of a risk that osmosis could work either way. Like yeah. maybe being around me, you're no longer racist. Even though we're not talking about it, you're just seeing me and that's great. Or maybe being around you and we're not talking about it, I'm suddenly, you know, starting to be lax in some of the things that I thought before. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just a tiny bit concerned by, by Cisco saying, look, the friendship is more important than what you believe. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I wonder if you can get to a point where you're going to have uh, a reasoned adult slightly dispassionate conversation about that, where if you're a guy like Jake, who I think realistically anybody watching the show hopefully identifies with Jake in this situation, not with Nog, um, can say, look, you're my friend. We have these things in common that we like to do together. There is no way I can look at a woman that I date the way that you look at somebody that you date, there is no way that I can treat somebody who is important to me as anything less than equal. And if you can't handle that, <laughs> then I, I, I can't have you in that part of my life. I feel too um, like the conversation we had with David Kyle Johnson did bring up cultural relativism as well, uh, which mm-hmm. I, I know I am not prepared to talk about from a from an academic point of view. So because uh, I would imagine there are people who are going to say, well, but what about his culture? And I will say back to you, yeah, what about that? So I would encourage people again, as you did a moment ago, to seek out yeah. uh, the conversation that we had with David Kyle Johnson on Mission Log Live, um, which I guess now we've committed to keeping online forever. I guess so. Well, listen, I, I wonder if we could also take this back to a place, and maybe this is uh, uh, another invitation to Kyle or, or another moral philosopher to come up here with us. Can, can you uh, kind of boil all of this down, though, if we're not talking about cultural relativism, can we talk about objective morality? Can we say that there is an objective moral principle at stake here that that would describe that a person who is being oppressed, a person who is being made less than, um, they're objectively in a, uh, in a less equal and therefore disadvantaged position than someone else. You know, th- th- this, is, this is sort of the argument you can make, uh, take a big one, take slavery, and you go, okay, regardless of the culture, there is an objective moral principle at stake here. So uh, the question you asked is, can we say that? And I would say the answer is, well, we can say that. Yeah. I mean, you and I, because, you know, we reach 
But then there may be people, there may well be people listening here saying, okay, yeah, but some people, and you know, that's that to me, that's the ball game. But you know, to them, that's just another inning of the game. So we should probably actually get on to the A plot as well. <laughs> right. Well, and there's good stuff in the A plot. You know, uh, the, there was every opportunity I thought to turn this into something really cheesy. Um, the, the, since we talked about the equipment earlier that uh, Bashir is using, they had every opportunity to turn this into Spock's brain. <gasps> and... Don't you ever, <laughs> ever say anything bad about Spock's brain. I mean, except for the fact that it was a cheesy crap. Well, sure, cheesy sure. There, there are cheesy yeah. moments in it. And, oh, yeah. and look, you know, you could go down a path of really picking apart the science and the legitimacy of quote unquote, replacing parts of the brain, not really a valid process if you want to have any part of the real person remaining. Um, but, you know, I tried to pick apart what are the points that they're trying to make and, and what are the emotional beats that they're really trying to hit? You know, is this truly a story about end of life and how we may cling appropriately or inappropriately because it's an interesting uh, debate to have? What does that person want unless they explicitly stated it? And even if they explicitly stated it, do conditions change what our expectation or maybe our demands are when we're faced with a, a scientific reality here? Um, it's a very tragically relatable story for anyone who has seen a loved one in decline. And you start to ask yourself if that person is really there anymore I, i've had a few relatives who as they got older and suffered from dementia you you rack this in your brain over and over and over again trying to figure out if they really are them anymore and there's not a way to to really come to a reasonable conclusion on it and then is it humane to keep them going or better to let them slip into oblivion you know, uh, everyone's making decisions about what he would want, about what Burial would want. But from the moment that the accident happens and from the moment that we start replacing parts of Burial, uh, how able is Burial to make his own decisions about what he wants? Well, I mean, certainly in this episode, the brain was the last part to go, right? So, I mean, they were asking him all along the way to the point that he's the one who put himself in the ground. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry to be so uh, callous about it, but when the doctor is saying, listen, I need you to be cool for three hours and Brial gives it like 15 minutes yeah, before yeah. he calls, uh, before he calls Kai Wen back in. I mean, I get what you're saying. I, I do. Yeah. Um, uh, we have the sort of impossibility of science fiction here where he's, he's on it the whole time. I mean, he's still, he's still firing on all, well, not all cylinders, <laughs> the, yeah, the thinking right. parts firing on all cylinders, the rest of it, uh, not so much. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to say, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not surprised when Kira decided at first to go back and work and, and tell Bashir that she needed to deal with this in her own way. Uh, but I was pleasantly surprised at how emotional her reaction was at the end of the story. I thought that was played very nicely. I'm probably jumping ahead to the next section here, just in terms of the recap, uh, the, the, the wrap-up on what we felt about it. Um, but I thought this was a nice, realistic way to handle how people who are emotionally connected to a situation might react. And we got both extremes out of her, uh, which was suitable to the character and suitable to the story. Um, I guess, you know, if we were to pick apart the science here, I think the uh, the idea of the artificial brain and the spark of life, uh, had this been a different kind of episode, maybe would have made me a little more cringy than it did. Mm -hmm. Just uh, as soon as you go in and start messing around with a brain, you are fundamentally changing. <laughs> if you replace any part of a brain, you are fundamentally changing who that person is. Uh, but I feel like a lot of that stuff I could let go because this is really about the emotional story here is about the emotional journey. Um, and hey, let's uh, let's talk about Kai Wen a little bit. You want to? Yeah, because you mentioned her in the last segment. Yeah. And um you know, she's oh, cause she's so manipulative no matter what. And I, I, you know, of course, she's going to find an out 
no matter how things go. Um, if she succeeds, she's a hero. Mm -hmm. If she does not succeed, well, we're either going to pin it on the dead guy or the almost dead guy, depending on what uh, Beryl's situation is as we get through galloping toward the end of the story here. Do you feel like there is, is there any way that Kai Wen was actually on the up and up in this episode? I I think that they set it up in a way to sort of toy with our perception of that. Okay. You know, at the very beginning when she's sitting in the office with Cisco and he's saying, boy, you've, you've really warmed up to him. And, um, and she says, I don't know that I would have been as forgiving. That's the yep. part. That's the part to me that makes me think that she might actually be. I mean, there's no question she's writing him hard in this episode, but he's also writing himself hard. She should have, I think, done what Bashir asked her to do. In fact, I had written, gosh, I wish she had done this. And then when Bashir went to her and said, I wish you'd do this, I like crossed that part off because I'm like, okay, good. I'm glad somebody thought of that. Don't <laughs> right. have to don't have to bring that up. Um, I did find myself wondering, though, it, because it's absolutely right for Bashir to accuse her of wanting to use him as a scapegoat. Mm -hmm. uh, because that is absolutely what she's been like to this point. But I found myself wondering if there was, at least in this episode, if we were maybe, if we were maybe supposed to see some sort of um, uh, spark of pejority, because <laughs> she's not human, some sort yeah. of spark of humanity uh, in this character. Uh, yeah, I, I asked myself the same thing. And the more I went back and rewatched it, I felt like, you know, I feel like Kai Wen is always five steps ahead. Mm. And and even even if she is able to do something that is humane <laughs> or bajorane, you know, uh, <laughs> let, let's say altruistic. <laughs> Good. That? Okay. Even if she's able to do something uh, that benefits others and makes her look like the good guy it's not to say that she won't take advantage of whatever benefit is coming to her you know and, and the, these things don't have to be entirely mutually exclusive more than one party can benefit from something um, but it looks like her attitude is always how will i benefit the most how do I come out looking the best in this? How do I always get exactly what I want, regardless of what happens to the others involved? Hmm. See, that's really interesting. And I know that she is going to be a foil. So there's really no point in wondering about this. Yeah. What you're saying. Well, it doesn't matter. I, Cause, well, cause, it, cause it, I know. I know what she's going to be. I mean, there yeah. are characters who do get redeemed there are characters who do get redemption there are characters who go from being bad guys to being you know not so bad or sometimes even characters who go from being bad guys to being good guys the fact that we know that she's not going to be one of them i mean really kind of makes this whole question academic i suppose yeah but here's the thing I mean, when cisco was sitting there asking her questions that is the audience asking her those questions mm -hmm. oh like, what's going on i thought you guys didn't get along wow you've really warmed up to them what's what's happening here right. you know that so that that's us trying to figure that out and even if there is a spark of kindness in her um she still pushes everything to the worst possible extent in this episode. And the, the humanity is there in Bashir saying, you have to not simply look out for yourself. You also need to consider what's going on with the person, with uh, with Beryl. And yeah, I know that, that both would make the argument, but this is about Bajor. This is about the treaty. This is bigger. Well, you're the ones who called Legate Terrell to you know, haul it to get over to DS9, could have waited a few more days, could have waited a little bit. There's something here that changed the conditions of the game. Tiredness in the chest. Unusual tiredness or weakness. Wheezing. This one time, the cousin of a friend of mine turned into a werewolf. No full moon or anything. A werewolf. We are pretty sure that that was because of Vasican. Other side effects include itchy eyes, indigo eyes, Betty Davis eyes, and eyes without a face. Visit our website to learn more.
Well, it's a part of the episode where we sort of uh, weigh the whole episode, try to figure out the um, the ideas, ideals, any messages, any morals, any meanings they might have been trying to impart, or meanings they might have accidentally imparted uh, when they were to give an episode. The episode that we are given this week is uh, is life support, and I put the question to you, John: uh, life support. Does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Uh, it, it does. Uh in spite of itself. Um, so even the people working on the show realize that the A and the B plot didn't go together. <laughs> so that this, according to our friend Terry J. Erdman's uh, DS9 companion book, they were like, these are great stories. Let's put them together. Oh, oh, these are not two great tastes that taste great together, necessarily. Is, but, that, is that a surprise, generally speaking, though? Because it seems to me there have been plenty of times... I mean, the original series didn't have a B plot, mm-hmm. right? And that's a that's a later in television thing, I think. So really, we only have uh, TNG to compare it to, as far as like our rewatches. It feels to me like that was a fairly common thing. Like there'd be something going on with these characters, there'd be something going on with these characters, and they didn't necessarily meet up at any point. No, but I mean, I think we've been pleasantly surprised when they do, but I think it's tonally that these are so off. <laughs> okay, you know? yes. it, it's not necessarily that they have to dovetail, but just the, the tone of these stories. Look, if the Jake and Nog story had been the A plot for another episode yeah. or had been a, maybe not giving it that much credit, but had been a little deeper B plot. Yeah. On another episode, maybe an episode that had something to do with the Ferengi, maybe something to do with uh, uh, Rom or Quark and their bizarre relationships and their bizarre uh, uh, sort of cultural perceptions. Right. Maybe that would have been a good counterpoint to that. Yeah. Maybe a relationship episode between Kira and Barile that doesn't involve one of them dying. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. that kind of puts a damper on the whole okay. thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. But, Thank but, you. but here's the thing. But, but both plots are strong and they're strong for the reasons that I said before, because we have uh, maybe not a great conclusion that we get to uh, from the B plot, but it's an interesting idea. It's an interesting sort of mental exercise to see how we could actually deal with something like this. And then you have the A plot, which is just a really solid character piece with a great emotional punch. Again, I'll hand it to uh, Nana Visitor for uh, the the earlier part of the show where she's sort of denying, trying to process it, going back to work. And what I thought was just a lovely scene at the end, just letting the camera roll back and let her talk. I thought it was so lovely, so well done. Um, And I, I hate to say it, I'm glad they killed Beryl here. <laughs> and, wow. And, and, and here's why. Here's why. I, I was starting to think that they had forgotten how to write for him. Um, he's an interesting character because of where he fits in. But he stopped being an interesting character way that they were writing him. Um, he, he was interesting because we're interested in the politics of what happens on Bajor and what happens with Kai Wynn and how he got shafted out of becoming the Kai. He's interesting because we have uh, a romantic foil for Kira. So these are all interesting ideas for him, but he stopped really being a character on his own. Um so if we're going to lose somebody, this was the right choice to make. We lose a character who has ties to others that we really care about, um, who we've seen enough of to at least have some sense of familiarity with him. Uh, but, you know, we're also not killing off one of the lead characters in the show. So I, I thought everything that they did here, the choices that they made, served all the other characters and served Burial well, too. We got to let go of him in a way that has meaning and impact. Um, so overall, yeah, just a, a really well done episode, despite the A and the B plot not necessarily belonging together. And uh, how about you, Ken? Um, yeah, it's fine. I mean, yeah. it's it gives you a lot to think about. It gives you a lot to chew on. I do like the ambiguity about... See, had I been watching this, you know, when it was first aired... I think I would have been excited by the idea that maybe Kai Wen uh, had had um, 
had turned a corner. It's kind of like I was talking about earlier with the osmosis between uh, the possibility of osmosis between uh, Jake and Nog, mm-hmm. right? Maybe being around uh, Burial uh, actually uh, rubbed off a bit on Kai Wen. Would have been my thinking at the time. Was the kind of thing that I was wishing for as we were watching it uh, mm-hmm. in preparation for this episode. So that's fine. I mean, yeah, it does get a little silly. I mean, it literally is silly when Kira's like, well, can't you just replace the other half of his brain, too? <laughs> but, you know, I, that, I, I, at the same time, I get that. I mean, that is the desperation of, of losing uh, the person that you care about most in all the worlds, right? Yeah. You, you want to make whatever kind of bargain you can make, whether that be with a deity or whether that be with technology. I mean, yes, keep going, keep going. She actually says that to Bashir. You can keep going, you know, and, you know, Bashir did not point out he wanted to stop, you know, in the prologue because the guy's dead, you know, and and he wanted him. He wanted him to have some dignity about the whole thing. As far as the B plot with uh, Jake and Nog, I don't like where that landed, but it's fine. I mean, as B plots go, it's okay. At least it gave us a lot to talk about. That's kind of interesting. There's a there's a thing that I wanted to bring up last segment, and then I didn't bring it up last segment because it didn't really seem like it fit necessarily. But I can't help wondering if there wasn't a little bit of a message uh, in the episode um, against populism. Hmm. And whether it was intentional or not, I don't know. But I love the scene, and then I hate it. Uh, where Kai Wen says to Cisco, I was chosen by the prophets to lead our people into a new era. I know that. But I was not meant to be in the room with a Cardassian uh, debating legalisms and diplomatic nuances. What do you think leading is? <laughs> right. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you're not just there to, you know, tell everybody a good story about Bajor, about returning Bajor to the good old days. I mean, you're, you're, you're dealing with real situations. And and if you think your job leading people is not dealing with other people, if you think your job is just to stay cloistered where you are and talk to the people who agree with you all the time, I, I certainly hope that somebody on the DS9 writing staff was going, you know, we should probably point out, because, I mean, you think about what was going on at the time. We had, uh, we had Clinton in office, a yeah, fairly international figure, certainly, um, and you had Gingrich in the House. Mm-hmm. who was a bit more folksy, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't help wondering if there wasn't some sort of message here about populism. And, you know, maybe it's the kind of thing that people might want to consider today. I don't know. Just uh, just something that occurred to me. Yeah. I, I think that's uh, that's not a bad way to look at it. Um, I, I will say that uh, I think that that's a, a nice way to look at what's going on with Kai Wen. I, I want to return to the B plot for just a second because I think this is one of those rare and interesting episodes where there was probably an intended message that doesn't necessarily jibe with what we're getting out of this. Okay. I think the intended message here is um, you can put aside your differences. You can see the other person as a person who's your friend and get along with them. And that's more important than the cultural things that or traditional things that separate you. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great positive Star Trek message. That's a great positive message that that we should hear more of in, in any kind of media. Um, however, <laughs> there's sort of the unintended dark side of that that happens here, which is like, well, the morally reprehensible things that your friend does, we're going to give those a pass. Right. Because that's just the way that he is. And that's just where he comes from. As opposed to maybe finding some other message in there that says, you know what? You can still stand up for the values that are important to you, like inclusion and equality and not treating women like dirt. <laughs> Um, These are still things that you can consider to be important and still maybe lead by example. Um, Maybe, maybe that's a little more positive message to take away from this if they had gotten to that in the episode. Yeah. Argue the profit motive. Mm. That would actually be really interesting because Jake, of course, having grown up in the Federation, is going to be like, I don't understand your obsession with money. And, 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 and Nog's going to be like, I don't understand your not obsession with money. 
Yeah. And that's going to be a cultural thing. And that's going to be a really interesting conversation. And in the end, that is the kind of thing I think that you can overlook. If the thing that you're overlooking is, you know, run to attend, one of you is going to be subjugating mm-hmm. <laughs> a whole other like segment of every population. Um, well, that's not that's not overly cool. Exactly. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Check out all the shows at the Roddenberry Podcast Network at podcast.roddenberry.com. You'll find Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, your daily Star Trek news, and Shabam. Shabam. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly... That would be kind of you. You can do so at patreon.com slash mission log. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. On the next mission log, Heart of Stone. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. And from the album Messages by Key Theory. Free to download at kitheory.com. Bad news. Vasican has been recalled. Tests were promising, but too many werewolves. Transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S. based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.